Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining me. We are recording a new podcast on Isaac's Autism Wild, and I'm lucky enough to have Becky Gardner uh, join me. And I have to be honest with you. I think I might have a little bit of a girl crush on you because um, for so long, and if you've listened, you know, because we have been podcasting for quite a while now and we've had, it's almost our one year official release anniversary. Um, But with that being said, I have talked about just intermittently um, about executive function. Like I've talked mm-hmm. about it. I've thrown it out. Um, when we're talking about a certain particular topic, I'll be like, oh, and don't get me started about executive function. But I'm going <laughs> to save that because I want to get Becky on this podcast to start talking about executive function. Um, it's so funny because we have a mutual friend. And um, I, I think I might have been r- ranting to Pam about my frustration with just some of these things oh gosh I know right and then she's just like I think I need to introduce you to my friend Becky and I was like who is this friend Becky so then when we sat down that very first time and you explained what you did it's like you are the person I've been looking for all my life well maybe not all my life but my parenting life my parenting (laughs) life for sure um because oh my goodness it's executive function I you know, as my kiddos have gotten older and you start, you know, like um, realizing some of the bear, I'll call them barriers, or challenges, hiccups. I love barriers. That's uh, what yes. I use too. Yes. You start Googling Dr. Google. That's what I refer to. Mm-hmm. It as Dr. Google. Like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong? What have I done to my child? Like they can't seem to do X, Y, and Z. And then it's like you stumble executive function. Then I read more about it. I'm like this. Oh my gosh, this all makes total sense. Why are not more people dialed in and understand executive function? Um, all the different things. And so I have said when we first met, I was like, I, we have to podcast on some of this stuff because the world needs to know about executive function. And I usually always say that executive function. Um, and now I know it's that big. It's it's so big. Yes. And it's so important. And so now I finally have you on my podcast. And so we're going to talk about executive function. So with that, um, we, I, like I said, I want to talk a little bit about Becky and how you, um, just your professional background, you know, your personal background too. Cause I think sometimes our personal experiences lead us into our professional endeavors. Absolutely. Um, so why don't you give me kind of a little bit of a background about Becky Gardner and how you came to be my girl crush? Because I truly <laughs> so have a girl crush on you because this is so important. I'm very, very excited about this. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're excited because I get overexcited about the subject. So that's perfect. We can nerd out together. It'll be fantastic. (laughs) Like, tell me all this stuff. Uh, So I started uh, my career as an occupational therapist, and uh, that was a long journey, but finally found the thing, which was occupational therapy. And thought I was going on my merry way. And actually, uh, I had to hold off my 
second field work for my degree because I was pregnant with my son. So he was born and he was not quite the same as other kids. And I, um, he was my first born, but still I knew he was a little different. You had been around the block, at least when it comes to like more training, like you've seen other kids. So you're probably a little more dialed into differences. Yeah. I mean, his, his milestones and, you know, all of the things that I had just gotten done learning in school, teaching and all the learning. Yeah. Weren't, they were ish in the realm, you know, there wasn't anything alarming, but he was just a different kind of kid. Mm -hmm. And so after I did my field works and got my first job, the more I, um, watch Josh grow and, um, see those differences become, wider and more upsetting to him, the more I did what you were just saying. And I looked into it, (laughs) Dr. Google, Dr. Google, find any answer. What, what is this about? And, um, he, I, he had lots of different, uh, types of professionals work with him. We'd gone to lots of diagnostics and therapies and different things. And, uh, he was not accurately diagnosed until, uh, he was 18. Oh, so okay. the week after he graduated from high school, he got his accurate diagnosis, Okay, which means that we did a lot of things wrong. So, so many things wrong when he was growing up and think, thank God he's a resilient person because <laughs> he's, he still likes us. I'm oh, that's sure nice. I know, isn't it? Yes. Um, but in that process of questioning and asking and researching and trying to figure things out on my own, um, I came to exactly the same place that you did and hit, um, wow, why, why was this so hard to find? Why Mm -hmm. was it so hard to figure out? And then as I started to surround myself with more people that could help me figure out answers and guide you and guide me. Absolutely. Um, I, actually got to know, um, my best friend, uh, Sarah Gardner, who has my same name, but not, uh, not a relation. And she is autistic and having her explain things through her lens really brought on a lot of aha moments. So it's the, the whole culmination of yes, the study that was related. And so as an occupational therapist, we start where the child is or the adult is or the student is um, and move from there. And so there's not necessarily a really prescriptive approach with OT because every person's different. Yeah. Um, and that's it's very individualized. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the basis for um, where I come from in all this. And then uh, adapting things is very occupational therapy. So, you know, while it might have been um, tools for being one handed at one point. Um, now it's more adapting environments for success for autistic students. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you became an occupational therapist, where did you land? Did you land in the private sector, the school sector, um, you know, professionally, where did you land? Did you finish your field where, I mean, cause when you have kids, did, yeah, yeah. yeah, I feel like, you yeah. know, Oh my gosh. I I call it before kids and then after kids, because (laughs) it's like, um, you know, things you always planned on doing, like don't necessarily happen once you um, have your child. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It was nip and tuck. And I ended up having to fly back to this other state and anyway, but yes, I I was able 
somehow to finish that. Um, I lost the question. Oh, so how, where did you land? So when you oh, became like you. practicing for OT, like were you working with children, adults? Were you working with students? Yes. So um, I, as part of this whole uh, evolution and discovery, I also figured out that I was ADD, which is oh, why, why I just lost the question. <laughs> there it is. That's executive function. Let's there talk about some executive of that. Function. Yeah. yeah. Um, so being very ADD, that was another reason that I liked this field is because I could work full time. I could work part time. I could work schools. I could work geriatric. I could work pediatric. I could work. And so that that's before I knew that I was ADHD, then I, I knew that that's how I operated. And yeah. so, yes, I did all of the things. So you've been in all of those different sectors <laughs> yeah. professionally. Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. your favorite? Just out of curiosity. All. Oh, you like it no matter what. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you know, cause you know, have your favorites. I, I think, you know, Pete's kind of wears you out. Um, but there's that joy in it, but working of the lifespan, I think that there's, you know, fun in all of it. Right. So, right. And, and it is, and, and that's, that's the great thing is that you do it until the fun is not outweighing the other stuff and then you switch. And so it's always fun and it's always interesting and it's always great. Very cool. So professionally, how did the OT like, so, cause as of right now, cause you told me that you're currently right now, not practicing as an OT Correct. OT, right? Because your passion has taken you kind of in an unusual, I shouldn't say it shouldn't be unusual, but no. it's not a well-known path, <clears throat> which is why Definitely. Um, I wanted to make sure that we could talk about that a little bit. So mm -hmm. talk about how then you then branched into this area where you're now like coaching and, and building on, on, on some of these skills. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in the course of trying to figure things out around the time that Josh was actually diagnosed, uh, I got a job, um, with, I guess the timing's a little off, but anyway, somewhere in there, uh, with Bellevue college in their autism spectrum navigators program. Well, it wasn't even called that then. Cause it was the pilot, um, program. And so, so this is a community college setting, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, uh, over in Bellevue. Right. And it was Bellevue community college then you're yes. exactly right. Yes. Um, it's now Bellevue college cause it has four year degrees too, but, yeah. um, yes. And so that was exactly right. There was a very forward thinking director of the disability resource center at that time, Susan, and she realized that all of these students were falling through the cracks mm -hmm. and they did not have effective tools for catching them and helping them. And being the amazing person that she was, she wanted to do something about it. And so she, um, hired so, a consultant. So mm -hmm. they would basically then take kids from high school into the college setting, like for like community college setting and realize that the life after high school sucks. There's not the supports in place. And so I that was say it's falling off a cliff. Yeah. It's just, and, and she recognized that glaringly yeah. the life after high school and the lack of supports. And so she was like, mm -mm, like, <laughs> I don't like that. Well, it wasn't, uh, it was, more that being an open access um, college institution, it we had so many different kinds of people show yeah. up for at Bellevue Community College then. Um, and in that great level of diversity were a lot of neurodiverse mm -hmm. people. So and let's so talk about neurodiverse right now. So you use that term and I'm yeah. actually 
surprised that not more people are familiar with the term. Mm -hmm. So neurodiverse, when you talk about, use that term, what does that mean for you and like the work that you're doing? Uh, that's a big question. Um, in general, neurodiversity to me is seeing differences in neurology as just that, as differences, just like, it's like you have brown hair and exactly. yeah. And someone has red hair. You exactly. know, I might be five, six and you might be five eleven. They're just right. differences in who we are. There's not a mistake. It's not exactly uh, an, an abnormality. They're just differences that make us right. neurodiverse. Like, right. um, so there's are no accidents if you will. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not good, bad. It's not better, worse. It's not, it's, it's a difference. It's what makes me left-handed and somebody else right-handed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there are with any diversity that I can think of, there are pros and cons. And this is exactly that on a neurological level. Oh, just talking so. about left and right-handedness is like, mm -hmm. you know, there's pros and cons. I can list some of right now. You said I'm saying, yeah, again, yeah, it's just, you know, the dominancy of a hand, there are pros and cons to both. And so you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. So I just want to make sure, cause I was surprised when I did a podcast actually a couple of weeks ago that um, not as many parents uh, mm -hmm. are familiar with that term. So I just, you threw it out there. I want to make sure that yeah. we kind of define that for yeah. people because Great. I'm sure we'll use it as we move on. So mm -hmm. talk about the neurodiverse piece and then at the, at the Bellevue college. Yes. So Susan wasn't necessarily pulling students from high schools, but we had a large diverse population, including neurodiverse that would come to Bellevue college. And so in an effort to make sure that students were successful, she wanted to find a way to include this group as well. And so, and provide some level of support yeah. to work through some yeah. of the obstacles or barriers that they were exactly. seeing. Yeah. And okay. she knew and that experiencing. the support would need to be a little bit different because typical things had been tried and students were struggling and they were um, unhappy. They were dropping out. They were not realizing their potential. Yeah. And Susan just figured that there had to be a way to, to help these students as well. And she didn't know what it was, but she was all in. <laughs> and that's cool. So that's how you got connected and you were brought into mm -hmm. this pilot then. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about, about that pilot then at Bellevue College and what that looked like, because that actually formed a lot of your, like where you have gone a since then. A lot, a yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, and not, not the original pilot itself. Because no, because it's changed and it did not work out the way it was envisioned. Um, there was a uh, consultant that was hired to set it up, and there were a lot of parts and pieces that were predetermined before we got there. And that's what we ran because that was the pilot program. That was what was presented right. to you. And that was the way it had to roll out. And then you found that it right. actually wasn't going to work like that. I mean, exactly. we're not shocked because we understand our population. Oh, it's so all about it's, trial and error. Try, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You try, And also it, there's not a one size fits all approach ever, ever. to what then we're talking about here there. Everyone is, is diverse. Everyone is unique. Everyone has different needs. And that's the thing. You can't just have a, here's how we're rolling this out and it's going to work for everybody. Exactly. And I think oh, if you go in with words that, were never said, right. And I think if you go in with the mindset that this is going to be great for everybody, then you've already failed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it is that already is so true. failure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's right. So let's talk about, it. so what was your role when you were there? Um, let's see, they had a 
funny name for us. We, I, we were called translators. There were four oh. of us. Um, that, that is were kind of a unique term, translators. I think it's because of a different communication style and we were to help um bridge the gaps yeah. of what of like kind of taking a and and presenting it in a way that they would understand it and the way they needed it explained because that's oftentimes what we say it's that Caleb or Trevor my other boy just needs you to explain it in a different way they're very smart very capable right. people but you just you have to speak Trevor, you have to speak Caleb. So yeah. a translator, actually, now that you say that makes, um, it's, it is a unique and interesting yeah. term, but it does kind of make sense. It was a little awkward as a job title because yeah. no I'm one ever knew what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, the, and it wasn't just one-sided because it was, it was breaking down, say a syllabus for a student, but it was also on the flip side, helping them to communicate with instructors this is, you know, an advocate and, you know, this is what I think I'm supposed to be doing, but you're saying this and how we're, you know, so helping, helping bridge the gap is a really good way to say it. Sure. So did it actually help with the understanding of some of your faculty in terms of understanding like, oh, like again, cause when someone's translating, Such we're not speaking question. a yep. different language. We're actually just explaining to them a different you know, why they need it explained in a different way, because here's how this translates to them. So, yes. so did that, like, what was your experience with that? Cause I feel like it would be eye opening. Right. And, and for some faculty. Absolutely. And it was, um, and that was probably, I don't know, I mean, it wasn't half the fun of the job, but it was a big part of it that I really enjoyed as well. Um, and, but that was the mission. So this was under the disability resource center. Like I said, that's what they call it. Disability, um, support services in some other colleges. Um, but that was part of their mission was also to educate faculty and to be a resource to faculty. And so that was another piece of our job. So you're absolutely right. And I have to feel like the faculty probably feel very empowered then because again, they're learning. Um, obviously if they're in education and higher education, they're really, you know, thirsty for knowledge and, you know, for, I would hope most of them. Yes. So I would feel like a lot of them would be really open to some of that. I mean, maybe some more than others um, depends on the generation that we're dealing with, but yeah. Um, yeah. Some of that became a bit of a difficult give and take because of accommodations. We got really good at giving um, unique and individualized accommodations. And that became too cumbersome for faculty to, uh, deal with. And, um, that was a growing process as well at the disability resource center was, um, coming up with some, a standardized set of accommodations that would encompass what the students needed and yet doable for a professor would, yeah, that the union would allow the faculty oh, to agree to because I forgot. Now we have to throw in the union there because we have contracts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm so glad you pointed that out because yeah, you're right. That's kind of another factor when we talk about all of this. Is it is union contracts. It's a reality. Yeah. 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 And so hours build up and so yeah, it was, um, finding, finding the balance is always about finding the balance. Yeah, for sure. So while you were there, that really, I guess, fed your appetite for it taking it more and, and moving on towards 
what you're kind of doing now, maybe? Yes. Okay. Let me say in the, so the reason that I brought up Bellevue College, though, and the Autism Spectrum Navigators Program is because it, we ran that pilot program and it did not fly. Uh, it, it didn't hit the goals that we were looking for. Students were struggling. And so it was actually scrapped. Um, oh, the whole thing went the away. The whole thing was scrapped. And it was Sarah who said, let me fix it. I will do it on my own time. I know I can make this work. Let me fix it. And so she did. And we, well, Sarah, I, I, she bounced some ideas off me and I did, you know, a very small fraction of the thought with her, but being autistic, she really understood the gaps and really understood the needs of the students and how she felt when she struggled in college. And, uh, I'll be darned if she didn't make it work. So she came back. So she was the one that came up with the winning combination single-handedly. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is very cool. Yeah. Oh, and that's why it works. And she still takes the data every year. So they just had their, I want to say 10th year. Um, maybe that's not right. Uh, no, that is right. Because we started in 2010. Okay. Um, uh, and she takes the information every year, gets a lot of data from the students and input from faculty and staff and all kinds of people and um, still changes it up every single year, just makes little tweaks and, every and it's improving year it's more it every successful. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. And, and the so one thing that she did, I will say this year, which I think is so phenomenal is it's no longer autism spectrum navigators because of the neurodiversity. There are lots of students that benefit from this. Um, another thing that we really tried to work on is universal design. So mm -hmm. you design for the outliers and everybody benefits. Yes. Um, well, gosh, when they talk about statistics of individuals with learning disabilities, not autism, just mm -hmm. individuals with learning disabilities that do create barriers, um, in education, it's a staggering number. Yeah. So I think that's awesome that they diversified it because so many of those wraparound services and supports are going to be beneficial for anyone that Absolutely. struggles when it comes to like learning disabilities and, and education. So, um, so the program is still going. It is. It's now neurodiversity navigators. Okay. And did have, have they taken this program that is now working very functionally there in Bellevue and have they used that model and tried to apply it in other locations like other universities? Yeah, yeah actually multiple oh. universities. Okay. So around this is, the country. Yeah. And this is, so I'm, I'm pointing this out because I like people to have hope <laughs> that like, Hey, this is not just in Bellevue. You don't right. have to like, you know, put that as your like action plan for your child, um, at the end of, you know, uh, education. But, um, so this has actually been, um, duplicated in other locations around the United States. Yes, they've, they've worked with a number of universities and colleges uh, in Washington, Oregon, well, yeah, around, um, even, yeah, multiple back east. And um, they, I don't, you know, every location has their own things. And so it's not identical, I don't think, in any one place, but the model and the foundational aspects of it. Yeah, are similar have, have been the used same and are successful. Very cool. So then, yeah. um, you left the program 
I did. Okay. So tell me about that because begrudgingly almost. Really? (laughs) So tell me how that whole happened. Um, uh, I ended up buying actually a company called a life of my own, um, who was coincidental that was coincidentally started by another occupational therapist, uh, also that worked at Bellevue college. Um, and that was out of the West. So that was a West side existing business or yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Practice. Okay. Um, and she worked, uh, and I believe helped start the other program at Bellevue college, um, OLS occupational living skills. Okay. Um, which is another fantastic program, just not where I started. So, um, I, it's not, Um, the one that I talk about the most, but it is also another fantastic program that has a little different emphasis. Um, But she, in getting her MBA, started this business, I think as a school project or something. And she was running it um, and it had a little different focus. It, it more on um, uh, life skills and um, it was community-based, which I loved. And Marcy ended up getting a job in Phoenix and moving and thought about shutting down the company, but it was, she put a lot of, uh, love and, and she um, had clients that she was it. supporting. She did. Yeah. And she didn't want to leave them exactly. without someone to support them. Yeah. So let's talk about, because now we're segueing right into where I wanted to be, which is a life of my own. Um, so talk about that particular business model over when you purchased the business and you, you took over her, those clients, correct? Mm-hmm. Cause you took mm-hmm. over her existing clients. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, she was running groups. Um, and I tried that model for a while. I enjoyed the groups. I think it's a great business model. Um, in terms of being able to work with bigger groups of people and being able to serve so more, students more capacity, at once. right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing with the company. Just, um, was I going to continue it exactly the way it was? Cause it was a fantastic model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started out doing her exact formula of, uh, working in, in the community with groups of students, enjoyed it very much. Uh, we learned a lot. We had a good time. We got, um, quite a few things accomplished, I think. Um, but uh, for me, it wasn't, um, the perfect fit, not because it wasn't wonderful because it, it was, um, but I think I was more in your line of thinking with it's just so much about executive functioning and why is it not out there as uh, a thing that you can learn more about and and that everybody just knows when you say executive function and be like, oh, yeah, executive function. Like as right. of right now, you say that and people are like, I, I don't know, people, one of two things, one will. Like, oh yeah, totally. And have no, make a mental note. I'm gonna have to Google that when I get home. (laughs) Um, Or we'll just be honest and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Executive function. What is that? Um, So, um, so let's talk about executive function because right now, some of you who are listening may not have any idea what executive function is and that's okay. You can, you don't even have to pretend that you like know this. We're going to just tell you. So 
Um, again, so how I came about executive function and just like my frustrations with it is because it's like, um, some of this is like, you know, why are it's planning organization, Mm -hmm. managing life. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I look at my son that Caleb who has high functioning autism and, um, such a delight, so wonderful, but because of his inability to plan, organize, think ahead, um, problem solve. Um, motivate, activate. Um, I just think to myself, oh my gosh, you know, he probably is going, despite how smart and bright he is and delightful of a person, he is going to have to live with me forever. Because if you can't plan, organize, manage your life, how can you live independently? Right. Mm -hmm. And so those were some of those things where it's just, you know, when we're talking about school, as when you talked, um, as Caleb has gotten older, I've seen more and more glaring concern about his ability to plan, predict, um, problem solve, um, you know, like even planning for the future and just even, even having a desire to question like, Oh, like how does my mom know when I need to go to the doctor? You know what I'm saying? Like just life managing life. Um, now I'm going to tell you here right now, I thought that this was just something that was specific to autism. Like, okay, so this is just part of autism. So Uh then of course, as I dive into all the things, executive function. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Mm -hmm. like kind of the, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what elements of planning organization, um, are part of executive function. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So just hold tight. Um, then I have teenagers. I have two Mm -hmm. teenagers. I have a 17 year old and a 16 year old. They're both 10th graders. If we're lucky, if we're lucky, we're in COVID school closure, uh, maybe hopefully they'll move on to 11th grade. We're just keeping our fingers crossed on that. Um, but once I started doing Dr. Google, I'm realizing, wow, like a lot of this stuff, when you're looking up executive function and you're doing online research, it is really exactly describing even my teenagers, their inability to plan, organize, use systems in order to manage and stay on top of things yeah. and know when things are due and plan so that those things get done. I was like, wow, this is a bigger, th- this affects all young people. Yes. Um, and so often in life, how many times have we said, whether it be on social media and older people are just the first ones to throw this out there. I'm afraid for the next, you know, this next generation, like I'm afraid for our life for our, like, you know, for our country with this new generation, like they can't find their, you know, butt with both hands. And to a certain degree, I can't say that I disagree because like I, I live with two of them and it's like, you know what, like sometimes I am afraid for our future because man, they have a difficult time, but yet I'm going to go in and say that um, having a newfound appreciation of executive function, um, I've also become acquainted with um, shaming language because Mm -hmm. their brains are not, they're different. Like the way our Mm -hmm. brains developed when we were young and the experiences that we had made it really a necessity that we have good executive functions. I mean, because we were launching some of it, I launched at 17. You know, there was, I think my dad probably launched around 16, 17 too. I mean, some, mm-hmm. I, you know, had an uncle 15, you know, he had no adult supervision. That was very normal. So it was like survival. Yeah. And so you do have to learn executive function under survival circumstances. Well, and that is when it's developing. So yes. I think a lot of that was probably luck that your uncle survived or yes. your, you know, I, that's when it develops. Exactly. So. And that's, it's kind of the sink or swim sort of a it thing. It was. If you yeah, want to survive. So. But it's just different now. Like kids, you know, they are launching later. It takes them longer time to mature. 
Um, also, we're not really, we don't have systems to be teaching, implicitly teaching systems to stay organized and plan and, and all of the things. So anyway, I say this because I now appreciate that I have used with my children very shaming language about why can't you just use, you know, you have phones, you have technologies, you have, you can set 20,000 mm-hmm. timers mm-hmm. a day to help you remind you to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a calendar, this whole concept of a calendar where they can actually put in the calendar when assignments are due <laughs> is this thing where, um, you know, I finally just, you know, but I've used language like, I don't know why this is so hard. Well, that right, right. really actually just makes them feel worse about themselves. And it's like, well, I'm just a screw it. What's the point? Right. You know it what does. I mean? And they're it so does. overwhelmed. But at the same time, you're exactly right. You don't know why it's hard because all of us have executive functioning strengths and barriers. Yeah. And so your strength may be their barrier. So to you, it's obvious. It's a thing that you could do blindfolded asleep. And yet, and, and I'm the same way. And so executive functions are personally ADD, ADHD is a complete, almost purely a lack of ability to have complete executive functions. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so I am fantastic at some things. I cannot manage time to save my life. Oh, so me too. to I other people, late. it's so obvious. Yeah. My husband's one of those people that's 10 minutes early and I, if mm, I am too. there, if I am that's there, that's not a source of difficulty time. much. Oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> and it's just, he doesn't understand to him. It's right, very no. disrespectful. I don't understand exactly. why this is it so is. hard. And it is you disrespectful, know, but it I is, can't help. I mean, I thank you. I cannot help myself. And I just, again, some of it is and attention it's deficit. Trying. It's not exactly. I have systems. I have tried. Mm-hmm. I have, and I, you know, like have negative self-talk too, because oh, it's like, holy, sure. like Shame. you are 40. Shame huge shame. Yes. But I am 43 years old. And why Mm -hmm. am I still 43 years old? And I still struggle with this. Um, now with that being said, I'm a paper planner person. Mm -hmm. I've got my paper planner and I do. I'm so glad you just said that. And I do also have my electronic calendar as well, but it's funny because what's in my electric calendar, my computer, my phone calendar, I write into my paper planner because I have to have it. If it's, if it's in the computer or on my like calendar, unless I actually physically go through the steps of using a pen and writing Mm -hmm. it down, Mm -hmm. I don't have it in my mind that I have something I have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just a weird little thing. Mm -hmm. But again, I figured that system out a long time ago. And so for me, I don't understand why you don't use, I have bought them paper planners. I have taught them how to use the online. I don't want to use those. And again, like what you're saying, my strength and, you know, again, I compensate, I put systems in place in order to compensate for my weaknesses. That's what it's all about. Yes. Honestly. But they, but here's the thing as, until I started diving into this, I wasn't cognitively aware of the fact that I need to really do an assessment of where their strengths are and where their mm-hmm. weaknesses are mm-hmm. so that we can start building a oh, plan yes. <laughs> in order to yes. figure out like, okay, so how do we overcome some of these deficits? Mm-hmm. Because here's the reality. Our kids, I don't, I have to be honest with you. I don't know if I've come the last time I've come across a kid that doesn't have anxiety and some of yeah. the anxiety. And I feel like it gets wor- worse and it's bigger when they get to be young adults because mm-hmm. there's more expectation for executive function skills and they aren't good. I think some of them, maybe they don't, they know they have weaknesses, but they don't realize and embrace their strengths. So they don't know how to use their strengths and their weaknesses together. Strengths-based is huge. Absolutely huge. And there's another thing that I think is huge that doesn't get enough attention is that 
which was really different from when your dad and your uncle and everyone was growing up is failure is not okay now. Oh yeah. Failure used to be okay and expected and part of life. And that was how you learned. And it, that was, it was not just okay. It was normal. Yes. Now we don't allow failure. And so without failure or knowing that you shouldn't fail or you better not fail, then you don't ever fail. Then you don't learn how to grow from those failures. And so your barriers become bigger. Yes. And you're also afraid to try fail. Exactly. And then when you fail, there's so much shame that you can't even. So I think there are a lot of pieces in play, but I think that those are some of the biggest shame, shame, shame. It's such a big thing. We did do a podcast with, um, one of my, with Ronnie gross, we talked a little bit about shame and some really good, um, references on kind of talk, you know, of shame and, 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 recognizing some of these things so that we can personally grow, mm-hmm. but you're absolutely right. You know, um, everyone is so afraid of failure. And I tell my kids all the time is, is that don't be afraid to fail. Some of my best lessons are things that I failed absolutely. at. Absolutely. Isaac foundation is the foundation of the Isaac foundation is, um, I tried something, it flopped, it didn't quite work well. And then I was like, well, learned from that. And then you and tweak you're never going to do it again. At yeah, that you point, tweak it. You learn that hard. You do. <laughs> you do. But that's the thing is like, I have no, when I started Isaac foundation, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a miracle that we are this many years into it, which is like 14 years. Is that right? 15 years. So um, here you go with resilience. Yeah. You grow. And not being afraid to fail. And I'm very honest right? with my family. It's like when we're trying, Hey, I want to do this new program. Like understand it's probably going to be a shit show. And, uh, we might do, and you it know, should be a shit show. And at first. It yes. should. That's and here's horrible. what I want is I want you to tell me your experience. I need you to share with me, um, what worked, what didn't work, because that is the only way they're going to be able to improve things in order to have exactly. a final product that exactly. like we're proud of. But you're right in life. We don't, we are so afraid our kids are going to fail. Yep. Um, you oh, know, and I was the guiltiest of the guilty. Yeah. I mean, that's as a parent, I'm like shaming myself. Cause I'm like, I am such a failure as a parent because oh, yeah. this online school, I just suck at it. I'm the worst teacher <laughs> in the world. And yet it's like, you know what? Those aren't your skills, Holly. Holly, you were never meant right. to be a teacher. Yeah. You just weren't. You don't have a degree but now weird. during COVID again, I always, I was dialed into executive function, but boy, howdy, did I not fully appreciate <laughs> the deficits of my children? Um, until I became their teacher during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Like, oh mm-hmm. my goodness, which is why now I have a big, if I had a girl crush on you before, but now I have like this like really big girl crush because I need, I need help in executive oh, function will. for my children. Oh, and how do this. I support them? So, and that's the thing you're so positive about it. It's like, oh, this is what I do. And you know, there's just, and you and I, we can talk about executive function and nerd out if you will. So love it. Yeah. So you kind of, so you took your old model when you first took over the business, you did that for a while, tested it out. It was mm-hmm. great. It was, but then you wanted, you I were feeling this, like there this, was this feeling that executive yeah. function needs to probably come into yeah. this a little you know, bit more. And I figured it out because I was actually, um, the professor, the adjunct professor at Bellevue college for the executive function class for autism spectrum navigators at the time. And the more I would research and learn in order to teach the class and understand the people that you're trying to help support. Exactly. exactly. It's like a whole new thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 
that it just made me more and more and more passionate about it every year that I had another class go through and saw what worked and what didn't work and why they, some things they would get excited about and some things they would just roll their eyes and groan. I mean, they were really very, very honest feedback, <laughs> which was really which, helpful. Uh, yes. <laughs> Gotta have tough skin. Gotta have, yeah, you know, okay. Well, so. I think the very best form of communication is blunt, really. Oh, yes. Because why sugar? I'm not going to be able to figure it out anyway with yeah. my ADHD-ness. So just tell, tell, D- me, D- like tell me straight. Just tell <laughs> me straight. Like I can't do no. ambiguities. I just can't do it. So is it really? safe to say that it's very individualized? Oh, yes. It is so, so, so safe to say. <laughs> so much. And that's, that's exactly why, you know, in, in schools, there is a Take a deep breath. I get so excited. Um, it's okay. You're a good company here because I get excited when we start nerding out about like the details of executive function. So right, just, right. it's fine. So the the push, the teachers and school administrators and whoever know that students in the junior highish age are developing their executive functioning skills. So in order to help them, one of the things that they do often is make planners mandatory. And oh, do not get me started on the mandatory planner. Okay, I'm trying to be positive here. Just let me mm-hmm. go. Um, yes, no, I, I have a hard time with them too. But they're coming from the right place because yes. that is when that is developmentally appropriate. And so to give students a tool that works for 50 or 60%, maybe that's a thing that they can do. Yeah. And so that's what they do. I have a hard time with the mandatory part because the ones, the students that it doesn't work for, it really doesn't work and it makes their life harder. Yeah. Um, but so yes, it's so, so, so individualized that it's really kind of hard to talk about and explain what it is that I do because it's as different as there are students young adults so much. Well, because here's the thing we talk about this at the Isaac foundation all the time. Um, I have a certain type of planner that I like. I've gone Mm -hmm. and tried, uh, probably no less in my life, 15 different types Mm -hmm. of paper planners. Oh yeah. Because I had to find the one that clicked for my brain where it was, it just, it connected like everything about this planner. I just, it works for me. Size, fields, um, you know, the, the add-ons, um, that help me keep my world organized. Um, and it is totally different than what my assistant Anna uses. She has a different planner because like she likes different things or different things are the priority. Um, and they're both perfect, perfect for that individual person. Yes. And then we Uh have, um, Andrea who's here at the Isaac foundation and, um, she doesn't use a planner in that, in that capacity. Um, so, you know, she wants to, she feels like maybe she should, but her brain, it just doesn't connect in that capacity mm-hmm. of how she uses the planner. Now she does use one. She has one, but that's not, she, she uses it in a totally different way. Cause she's a diff, she's a creative mind. Mm. Um, now with that being said, I'm so with you, Caleb, sixth grade. Well, actually, I mean, in elementary school, like starting in first, second grade, they're shoving planners in these kids' hands with really la- no real instruction in terms of how it's supposed to be a tool mm. and then giving them options for how they can use it to best suit themselves. It's the everybody pull out your planner and this is how you're going to use it. Right. 
terrible way of, of doing that. And so that's always been my rub with Caleb and his planner. Mm -hmm. So this last school year, you know, Isaac foundation set out to kind of come up with an adaptive planner where, nice. um, you know, just it's different. And that was the thing. Hey, my kid's not using your planner. I'm just going to give this one back to you because <laughs> we're not using that. I do want him to use a planner because I do feel like there are some benefits mm -hmm. for him, but it has to make sense. So all this yeah. school year, we've just been, using Caleb as our test guinea pig on what makes sense to be able to, you know, like make this work. But again, exactly what you're saying for every person, they use a planner in a different way or it mm -hmm. would be beneficial in a different way. And so it really has to be kind of, uh, um, you know, I need this and I need that over there. Mm -hmm. And these pages were awesome, but I never used those ones. Right. And so having it be kind of a, I'm going to select this one, this one, this one, this one, and we'll try that one. You know, mm -hmm. just to see maybe mm -hmm. it will be helpful. And so that's kind of been the principle of so poor Caleb's binder, his little notebook <laughs> or his planner has been torn apart. Probably no less than three times to school. And then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So then, but I will tell you, we still use the planner during COVID, but it wasn't mm -hmm. for the days because like, you know, we were doing homeschool, mm -hmm. but we were using it for the supplemental sheets that we had put in there to be um supports, you know, like learning supports, oh, yeah. like your multiplication, yep. your division, um, even like the, you know, map of the, uh, world, like the globe, um, you know, states, different things. And I'm telling you what, everybody in the house does 10th graders all the way down to fourth grade fight over that thing because <laughs> it has all the supports. It's like, Hey, uh -huh. wait, where's Caleb's planner? Like, I know that there's like a sheet in there that like, it's going to tell me uh -huh. and it's easy to find, you know, yeah. knowing that they had it in there. Yeah. So anyway, it was kind yeah. of a funny story. So we just threw a bunch of stuff in there to see what was going to help with anxiety. You know, you have it. That's my thing. It's like, Caleb, you know what? Don't be stressing out about the fact that you don't know what like four times five is like, you know, where's There's a your thing called Google? It, oh, that's what I'm telling him. It's like, Oh, right. Caleb, like that was the other thing too. Like the dictionary. I want you to be able to look stuff up just in case, but you know, here's, here's a new slash, you know, Hey Siri. Yeah. Hey Siri. What's the definition of executive function? I mean, come on people. Like literally she's finding it for me right now. I mean, honestly, yep. She's looking. That's what I'm saying. Like, she, yeah. And then now she's going to give me the answer I need. And that's why I said, Caleb, talk to Siri. There's a lot yeah. of ways that we can adapt instead of like making his life 5,000 times harder. Exactly. But, well, um, and there's only so much energy or spoons. If you know, spoon theory, there's only so much that a person is capable of in a day. And if you're spending it using the dictionary, then are you getting ahead? No. And that's you the know? thing. And that's what my philosophy is. Like we got to spoon feed some of these principles, um, and making them in smaller doses. And again, figure out what works for all, because what works for one isn't going to work for everyone. And so a lot exactly. of executive function and what you do is kind of, um, discovery. Is it safe to say it's a lot of discovery? It is actually. Yeah. And so I, have broken it down into three levels just to make it a little bit easier to talk about on my website. Um, and those are uh, the first stage is definitely a lot of discovery. Um, and it's self-discovery. Uh, we do some self tests on things to, cause a lot of times introspection especially for neurodiverse young adults. I mean, every one of those pieces in there, the neurodiverse part, the young adult part, um, introspection is really hard. And even understanding feelings a lot of times is hard. And so starting at that place where 
students can learn to identify what they're feeling first and then what their feelings are telling them and then finding strengths. And we, I try to concentrate a lot on strengths. The neurobiology doesn't let us do that. We all focus on deficits and negative and uh, you know, that was uh, functional at one point, but anymore, it's just causing a lot of anxiety. Oh, that's what I think so, too. Anxiety, all the things that add to anxiety are all the things that you're speaking to is, is that we're naturally always looking at all of the deficits. Yeah. Yeah. And biologically, we can't help it. It yes. doesn't matter how hard we try. That's how we're wired. Oh, I mean, just even as parents, you know, I'm just like, oh, I've just totally screwed up my kids because none of them have executive function. And exactly. I'm looking at that parenting deficit for, you know, just where my kids executive function is like, I somehow did something wrong. Um, and it's just so silly. It's just so silly. Uh, cause I'm not well, the only and they one. They have just as many strengths as yes. they do barriers and teaching that to, uh, students is very empowering. Yeah. Just, you know, they've heard a, a lot of times at this point, they've heard about executive functions and it's another thing that it's like, Oh yeah, it's another thing that I suck at. And I don't want to be here and I don't want to, but if you can share with them, actually you've got strengths that you probably aren't even aware of. And we can use those strengths to help leverage your barriers, then, you know, suddenly you're not way behind, but you're at least on even ground because your strengths can help with your barriers. And yes. then we can push you further ahead than that with supports, accommodation systems, changing mindset. Um, yeah. All of that. So. And that is all totally doable and things oh, yeah. that you then work on in your practice and you work with yeah. young people to do some of this. So you said the first, um, there's three levels you talk about the discovery where we're talking about self. Um, what's kind of that second level. Um, so that uh, in my lingo was, is called prepare. Oh, prepare. And okay. then there's develop. And so that's once we know where the students are and, and students or young adults will come to me at any of these levels. So you don't necessarily start the bottom mm -hmm. because I've had students start in their late thirties. Um, and so they, they don't need any of the prepare work. Sure. Um, yeah. but so once there's a, a foundation of knowledge, um, then we work in the developed stage and that's exactly all of the things that we were just talking about that, um, learning how to use your strengths and learning how to set up systems that work for you and using and not feeling obligated to have to use systems that like you oh, think you right. have to use, right. but yeah. find ones that just work for you. And you don't have to apologize for it. Like, again, I had to get right. out of my whole mindset of like, everybody has to use a planner. Okay. No mom, actually that's not, we don't have to do that. We have to find a system that makes sense for them. Right. And letting them be comfortable with that. Everybody's different. We just have to right. find what works for you. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Yep. And then, so what's the third? So we're developing. And then what's that third level that then you're uh, progress progress. Um, so do they have like goals? Like once they have, is it a goal? That well, see, and that's the thing. It's not a hard and fast. Yeah. You know, there's not a hard line on yeah. any of these, Yeah, but it helps people to understand what I do for one kid. It helps yeah. people understand. Yeah. So when we talk about progress, um, 
is it something where then you're re like you're when you're you're going back and you're evaluating some of the like the develop like so you develop kind of a plan an idea and then you're testing out to see what works what doesn't and then the progress is where they're circling back and saying you know giving feedback like here's where I think I'm doing well but here's areas where I don't feel uh, it just doesn't feel right and then that's where you're then going back to the development process to flush out yep. and figure out yep. what it is yep. so it's and not a lot like of you're learning a skill you're just really um. It's learning a process. Process. It's a it, process, really. It, it really is. Yeah. It's really kind of, you know, formatting a process in your brain that you like that feels good. And it's going to be something you're going to stick with. You find the right combination and it's just like, yes, it's like the planner. When I finally yeah. found this planner, I'm like, this is my life. And then you want to know what happened? <laughs> they changed it. They changed it. And what then I was were like, they thinking? oh, it was the most traumatic. I have <laughs> to tell you, it was the most disruptive thing in my life about two years ago when they changed it and they were no longer offering my planner in the size that I wanted. And, um, it was a thing. It was a whole thing. Oh, but yeah. guess what? It is a thing from a lot of feedback from a lot of people like me. And I was very polite about it. Um, they went back to it. They then are now, you know, oh, they had nice. to, yeah. So now life is back good again because I tried other things. You still advocated. I did. I ad- I advocated. It just doesn't work for me because they actually sent me a thing saying, you know, why did you stop using our product? Because you changed it. And yeah. I just I can't I can't function. It's not me. That. It's you. Yeah. Right. Which is what I want and to I said, teach not- all of my yes, students to right. say. It's yeah. not me. It's you. It's yeah. the environment. Yeah. And so it was stop just like, you know, I'm not saying to make me do a thing. Yes. I said, you know, me. I just am going to have to find I'm now back in the discovery phase of <sighs> trying to figure out, develop a plan, find something that's going to work for me that, you know, if you ever decide to come back to this, like send me an email. And sure enough, I got an email. It's back. And I'm like, oh, my God, best day ever. <laughs> I know it's silly, but I'm telling you the systems in life but yeah so So a lot of times in the progress phase they have figured out their their process and then it's how do you apply it in a different situation so once they they find a process that works in one context then Mm -hmm. you help them see how it could then be an asset in a different like aspect of their life exactly and at that point i pull back a lot and the whole goal is to not be in their life, yeah. but to have them fly off and do their thing and be successful but, people. Exactly. Yeah. So the whole goal is to work myself out of a job. And at that point I am able to step way back. And I try, depending on the student in the situation, a lot of times I'll ask them to check in with me instead of me checking with them yeah. and, um, to just keep pushing that, um, the responsibility more, to them and having them take the reins. Um, and, and it has been successful. It has. Yes. But now you're in Spokane. So you were doing all of this on the West side. I was. Yes. And so, and you still have some, your clients are still over on the West side. So you still are working yes, with them. The nice thing about technology. Via, yes. Video conference pre COVID. <laughs> but you ended up in Spokane people. Yay. If you're, did you just hear that? She is in Spokane people like, so Spokane is awesome. yeah. So now you're in Spokane and that's how we were introduced. And I'm like, where have you been my whole life? And you're like, well, I just got here. And <laughs> I'm just like, wow. Um, so you ended up transplanting to Spokane because of yeah. occupational move, um, and retiring, reti- oh, retiring. <laughs> you retired to Spokane even better. Yes. Um, and except s- not because I'm so, in love with this and excited about this that I couldn't actually retire. I just retired from my other jobs. Sure. Yeah. And so now you get to do the fun stuff of life, right? right? This is the fun stuff where you actually, you know, when you're, when you love what you do, it's really not work. Um, and so now you're really, so you're in Spokane. 
Um, your business is called a life of my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you are launching a new website, which I'm super jazzed about because there's going to be, I am super jazzed. Yeah. So what elements are you the most excited about with your website? Uh, well, the last one was from the last owner and it was beautiful and she did so much market research and it was, you know, but it, it represented the company as it was when she had it. And I've done some tweaks to it, but it's never had quite the right feel for what I do. And, and what's your emphasis in and what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so people that have self-referred, which is wonderful, but it's through no fault of their own. It's entirely my fault that um, it's not always been a good fit because, because they were expecting something different. Right. Cause that's what the website says. Yeah. So um, it's going to be much more in line with what it is that I do. And I'm just excited to have it be um, more of a, a working platform. Um, I'm going to start doing some blog posts and things, which oh, I have not before. So I'm excited about that. Newsflash too, is you agreed to do some serious, some podcasting with me, just talking about mm. little topics here and there. Yes. Um, because again, it's really just educating the masses that, Hey, have you heard about executive function? <laughs> There's somebody in Spokane that actually knows all about these things. Another <laughs> thing that we were talking about is one of the things that you was a very powerful, um, jaunt into learning more about is collaborative problem solving. And I had never heard about it until we sat down and you started telling me like, you know, how you came to be. Um, and so I wrote it down and I Googled it (laughs) because I was like, I must know more, but again, girl crush. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, if Becky says collaborative problem solving is a thing, Dr. Google, tell me more. (laughs) So I learned more about it. So for the people that are listening, can you just explain why that, um, a little bit about Mm -hmm. collaborative problem solving and why that actually is a really um, successful that you use in your practice and why it's successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, uh, well, the first thing I learned from Sarah Gardner and probably one of the most powerful, and it really honestly drives every single thing that I do, every decision that I make, every thing that I recommend, um, because it's student focused, child focused, young adult focused. Um, and it's empowering as it could possibly be the, the basis for it is the belief that, um, so originally it's, it's, um, kids do well if they can. Well, it's, it's people, it's all people do well if they can. And that's not a pat saying it's, it's a deep seated belief and that they, everyone, all of us do, as well as we can always, not sometimes, not when they're in the mood, not when it's convenient, but people do well if they can, period. And so if you come from that mindset, it really alters all of your thinking. And that was, it was um, for me as the parent that had done the research and read all the books and um, talks about deficits and, um, treatments and supplements and, you know, all of the things it was earth shattering for me to, to think about this. And then every, I, I made a point to, I actually wrote it down on my hand 
and actually made myself every time I was starting to feel frustrated with something because that was a lot. Yes. I would look at that on my hand and think deep breath. Okay. If he, they, she are doing, I actually am doing as well as I can or as he can, um, then something's getting in the way. Yeah. And so it's not that they're being a turd. It's not. Or they're just have no drive, no ambition, no motivation. Right. It's never, it's not that. Those aren't things. Yes. It's that something is getting in their way. Yes. And that is a huge shift in thinking. So then, and and I have a lot of that mindset because, you know, I live in the world of autism. And so I've always been, okay. We have a barrier here. Mm-hmm. What's getting in the way? And mm-hmm. so, but here's the thing. I was looking at that in context of only one of my children and not mm-hmm. all of my children and all, you know, what I mean? and all oh, yeah. the people you're interacting with. Yes. Um, and so that the guy was. cut you off on the freeway. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. People, people do well if they can. If they can. <laughs> and that's the thing. And so, again, I, I was so focused on it and I'm so, you know, like dialed in in one of the contexts because, you know, I'm operating from that. Well, he has autism, so he's going to do well if he can. When we see where he's not doing well, there's mm-hmm. a barrier. Mm-hmm. What is it? Let's start mm-hmm. looking at it. How can we, mm-hmm. you know, like um, exactly. work around this or create a modification or use his strengths to make up for exactly all of I, those things, all the things, but I wasn't looking at it in context of my other kids. And for that boys, if you ever listen to this podcast someday, when I'm long gone, just understand, <laughs> I recognize it. And I, it's parenting is a, it's a process. Oh. It's a process. Oh, yes, it is. So I love you guys, you know, and I'm so sorry. I, you know, you always strive again as a parent. I try to, you know, I, right. I do. We try so hard. I try, I do. I try I know, so hard. I know, but it, you're we right. Do. It is I an earth. Yeah, yeah. It's an and earth shattering thought. Oh, it is. It really is. It's, yeah. A, a thought where you're kind of like, okay, so this isn't laziness. This isn't lack of motivation. No. What is the barrier and how are we going to come up with a plan right. to help them be successful to move beyond it. Right. And right. that is a lot of what you do fun. Yeah. The core that is that what is you it, do actually. So you, is it safe to say that you work with not just individuals that, um, require supports like the individuals with autism or ADHD? Mm-hmm. Um, is it safe? You work with a wide diverse population mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. that really want to work on, um, figuring out what those barriers are so they yeah. can do better. Yep. Nailed it. Nailed it. Because <laughs> that's the thing. It's really not a fine defined no, definition. I know. It's so it's vague. It's so vague, yeah. but yet so profound. I think it's so vague <laughs> and yet so profound, which is why I get so nerdy about this. And it like, again, girl crush. Um, Cause I feel like you're talking my because, language. Yeah. Yes. So we talked about, you touched on this executive function starts to develop in kids in junior high. So sixth, seventh, eighth mm-hmm. grade and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, and before being that said, it's mom and dad is the executive function. Exactly. Put your shoes on. Yeah. We're going, we're to managing the them time to go to. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So, um, but realistically, um, you don't work with junior high kids. That's not your target. That's not the predominant population of students age wise that you work with. Well, correct. Correct. But I'm so glad you asked that. Um, in the ideal world, that's where we need that. Where, yeah. I'm so glad because that's where where the work should be. Yes. Because I have been saying for a long time, it's like, you know what? Here's the thing. Like, uh, 
you know, we're junior high, like, you know, I'm, I'm still, my eyes are on employment and how do I help him launch and be the best human being he can be. But that means I have to be spending time in junior high to get these systems because that's when executive function, but here's again, I was focusing on it with, I'm well aware of the fact that I'm going to be doing this work with Caleb. Now my boys are going to be in the 11th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, again, you're still way ahead of the curve. I, well, and, that's, and I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up over this because mm-hmm. there's still time, but okay. I am now realizing that just because they don't have labels, um, or things like mm-hmm. documented in paper, right. um, they still need, and I see it now because of COVID more than ever. Yes. Um, but that's the thing to help them be really successful people and comfortable and confident. Yes. Um, and to be able to manage your life and feel confident in all of those things and, you know, not beat themselves up about their deficits. We mm-hmm. need people, we need people like you um, to, you know, work with them to help them discover and put together systems and investigate and decide and plan and prepare and try things. And so, um, but the majority of the people that you work with, you even said that you work with people in their thirties. Oh yeah. It's never too late. Oh no. Uh-uh. Never too late. It's not ever too yeah. late. Yeah. And, and the only reason I haven't worked with anybody older is that's just, they haven't reached out to me. Yes. I mean, if, well, we've well, worked I'm so out glad with- that we met because <laughs> guess what? I'm going to be your next best client. Cause <laughs> I know I was telling my husband, I'm so excited. He was like, you have a podcast today. I'm like, yep. Just came up and she was available. And like, and he was like, Hey, I think she needs to work with our kids. I'm like, don't think I already am. I'm already planning like, and talking about Excellent. what this is. The Excellent. one thing that does suck, I'm going to be totally honest. There's no insurance that covers a person, a provider That's correct. such as yourself. So yes. it is a private pay endeavor. Yes. Um, which I find very depressing, frankly. I know. Um, Believe me, I'm depressed about it because I need like this because um, I got three. Um, but the value of it, I feel like, you know, at this point during COVID, I was like, where are the tutors? I will pay any amount of money um, you, they asked for to be a math tutor. And then I thought to myself, it's funny because I'll pay for a math tutor, but you don't think about the benefit of a person such as yourself and the exponential benefit of bringing someone like you on board. Like I'm just looking at, at math, like I need a math tutor. And for Trevor, I need a history, you know, tutor. Right. When really what I need is to invest some of those resources for someone like you, because it helps in all aspects of, of life. It um, does. It I does. Mean, it reduces but anxiety. It's not as, as measurable or obvious. I know. You, know. you can see the math scores improving and I, you know, I can't guarantee that they're going to have a improvement in their they're executive not gonna, functioning score. Yes. They're, yeah, I know. Right. But, what's, what's an executive function score? Right. Technically yeah. speaking, there are quizzes just so you know, in fact, on this podcast, yeah. I will actually put an executive function quiz. If any parent that's listening to this is just curious about their own executive function, I took it mm-hmm. um, because I feel like I am pretty, you know, I have a learning disability. Um, mm-hmm. I have for my entire life because back in the olden days, they didn't right. look at, um, learning disabilities the same way that they do now. Sure. So I had to figure out and, and, and really wrap my head around what I'm good at mm-hmm. in order to make up for the things that I wasn't. Um, that's impressive that you figured that it, that was but the it way was around, hard. It, but it was oh, hard, very hard, but I don't think I made my biggest jumps until my thirties, because again, I was just like, well, I can't do that because like, I'm not smart that enough. I can't do this because I'm not smart enough. Common thing I hear. 
till my thirties when thirties. Yes. Because I can be comfortable. I'm not so worried about, you know, failure or people finding out like I, I have, I, I'm so worried about people realizing I'm a fraud. Um, mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome. Imposter. Oh, yeah. oh, you know. This. Oh, yes, oh, I do. So, yeah. <laughs> Most well, of us with ADHD do. I exact imposter <laughs> or anxiety, syndrome, or anxiety, or all autism. the things. Yep. I know it. And so that's the thing is, I have um, until the Isaac Foundation, where just being a pissed off parent and sad <laughs> and grieving about my son being gone, mm-hmm. where I was just like, I am mm-hmm. going to fix this because this is not fair yep. that I allowed myself then to do something that I, in, in my twenties, even in my teens, I never would have thought I was capable of because mm-hmm. I was pissed off and I was mad and I was mourning my son. And I was determined that I was not going to just allow a shitty system to continue to impact other families. So here mm-hmm. we are Isaac foundation. Mm-hmm. And that's when I embraced my weaknesses and looked at my strengths and was able to put together, um, you know, you go a winning combination, but That's it was right. dumb luck, but <laughs> no, um, so well, not dumb luck. It just, you know, life, it just, you have to be, you know, I have to be willing to comfortably say, I don't think in my twenties, I would have been comfortable saying, Oh, I am a shit show. Right. Uh, in my thirties, not as much. I was still trying to hide it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Forties. It's like, baby, here it is. Here it is. I'm just here. I am really kind of a lot the same. Oh my goodness. Here I am. We try to pretend we're not, but we try to pretend we're not. (laughs) Um, but okay. So it's private pay, but well worth Mm -hmm. it. And when I actually, to be honest with you, um, we have talked about, you know, rates, because, you know, it was not related because I was going to hire you, but guess what? <laughs> uh, but the thing about it is it's really comparable to, you know, like going, you know, for a speech therapy session and, you know, in terms it's, it's not astronomical. Um, so worth it. And you're right. There's no executive function. It's not like you go to college and they test you to see how your score has jumped exponentially. Mm-hmm. But when, when you're measuring in terms of anxiety and feeling like yeah. you're in control of yes. your life and that like, Oh, this life thing, like I'm owning it. Yeah. Like I am comfortable. It's helping them to be comfortable in themselves. Absolutely. It's, um, immeasurable in my, it's the mental health part of just loving yourself. I really, it yeah. helps you love, helps them being comfortable and loving themselves and um, reduces anxiety. And yeah. there's no price you can put on, I think, in those things. Well, that it's it's phenomenal to watch students start. And usually they start because their parents tell them they have to. Yeah. And they're not sold on it and they're not interested. And, you know, eye rolls and the whole thing. And I get it. You know, why? you've been to other people before and why would this be different and why should you trust me? You don't know me. Yeah. Um, and then to, once we start talking about strengths to watch them start to light up a little bit and to learn about growth mindset and that failure is not only okay, but actually good and helpful. It's a tool. And to, and then we go on and, and start doing some, metacognition type introspective work and they figure more things out about it and they get more and more excited. And I can't say that they love every second with me because <laughs> you it's, know, it's they're young work. and it's yeah. work. Yeah. Um, but really it's a very positive, empowering thing. And by the time students graduate, you can just see them walk a little taller and hold their head. And higher. they're confident. They are. They're they confident, are, whereas they, they lack confidence. There's a process to yeah. go to should something go sideways, and it, things are going to go sideways. Oh yes, but they have 
tools and they have systems and they know that they've succeeded in the things that we were working with and there's no reason they won't do it next time. Yeah. So it's so true. It's very exciting work. (laughs) Well, this has been a very, this was, this accomplished all of the things that I wanted to accomplish. Again, I wanted to make sure that we kind of covered your background, um, kind of the evolution of your career and even just your, um, business model, like the practice that you have. Um, the one thing I was going to say is again, they, they, graduation is a loose term because Mm -hmm. you kind of back off and then they reach out to you as they feel that it's necessary. Um, and so, you know, I understand, I mean, you work with some individuals for a long time, like years or check in, at least have a relationship ongoing for a period of time. Is that right? Well, I don't feel like a relationship ever ends. That's so true. Um, unless one of us dies. Yeah. Um, so true. But we, uh, so I've had people come back to me, um, for tune-ups, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Tune-up. You know, Tweaks. they have a, a, a thing that they're concerned yeah. about. And so we work through it in a session or whatever. Um, but it's really kind of a, uh, yeah, the students start feeling like they have got it and they communicate that with their parents, who's typically the pair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just kind of all decide as a group that, yeah, they're ready it's to try fancy. it on their own and I'm available should they want anything. And I've had, um, and then it's just, you know, because everything's so individualized with each student, sometimes we'll set up, well, you know, the frequency change. You changes. want me to check back in two weeks or, do you want to call me in a month or should we just see how it goes? And it's, you know, it's, it's very individual, but yeah, they, they fly off and do their thing, which is yes. exciting. Well, and I'm a big believer. And I say this with my son, Tyler, cause you know, he, um, has been with me the longest. He's my oldest biological, um, child. But when Isaac passed away, um, he was the, he was younger by 11 months than Isaac. And so we did grief counseling because he just really struggled and didn't understand why is his brother taken away and what does this mean? And then once he had at that developmental place, he had that understanding cognitive, like acceptance. Then it was like 18 months later when you hit that next developmental place mm-hmm. or that next transition in life, it was like, he started struggling again. And then it was like, okay. And we went back to the grief counseling because he was at a place where he needed a different you know, like intervention to be able to, you know, understand. And, and Mm -hmm. I I'm telling you what, it seemed like every 18 months I could mark it on the calendar and just Mm. know that just because of the way the developmental jumps were, you know, again, you might be good for a span of time. Now, when we're talking about this type of support, it could be two weeks, it could be 30 days. Um, depending on what phase of life you are, could exactly. be 18 months where now it's like, exactly. okay, now I'm in college yeah. and I need different systems because these ones aren't quite working. Or now I'm transitioning into career and yep. now it's just not working. Um, and so that's the thing. It's like, there's that, the season, I guess, if you will, for Tyler, it was kind of every, every 18 months, hmm. I could just start seeing the signs that, you know, it's just that, that we're at a different place and yeah. we needed to circle back to a mental health provider. And to be honest with you, he still sees one, mm-hmm. um, but it's not necessarily for grief counseling. It's just mm-hmm. life. Life is different. Expectations are different. Demands are different. Sure. Um, so I feel like, um, you know, it might be something where, you know, it's an ongoing relationship. So, which is good, which is good. Yeah. I think that we all need some support throughout the span of a life. Yes. So, I had a um, student graduate today and I told her, please just check in with me and let me know how you're doing. I Cause I just, I hate to have them fall off the map. I care about them. You do. <laughs> I know I'm the same way at the Isaac foundation. Like I just, every, 
Every, the start of school, the first day of school pictures always get me just like a bumbling mess. And then the last day of school and graduations and yep, yep. just I am always a just a bubbling mess because I just yep. I get to know families. I get to know the kids. I get to know the siblings. And then it's like seeing them grown and launch. And it's just like I just have a lot of emotions about it. So yeah. I, I feel you. So well, we're going to wrap up this particular episode of Isaac's Autism Wild. And Becky is going to participate in a part two where we go more into executive function and um, some of the fundamental, the elements, what is, what are all the individual elements of executive function, which is interesting mm -hmm. because um, people in the executive function world actually have different theories and beliefs on this. And so we're just going to talk a little bit more about that. So um, stand by and um, check for the part two of this podcast series on executive function. Thanks, Holly. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.